Jacob, it's here, man. It's here, dude. It's finally one of our favorite times of the year. We have playoff DFS. Yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love these small slates. I love being able to to leverage the field because you know that there's going to be chalk out there. You know everybody's going to be picking the same games, the same teams, and so we get to take advantage of that and make some serious money. I think this is actually where it started for us back a couple years ago uh, when we were, were talking about the Browns, I believe, and the Pittsburgh game in the wild card. And ben yeah. Roethlisberger threw for like four touchdowns. And we both ended up cashing in that game. So, so I think that's where a lot of it started for us, man. Are, are you excited or is it just me? Oh, I'm extremely excited. This is these slates, you know, specifically the wild card round and the divisional round next week are my favorite slates of the whole year. I mean, I always love the small slates in general where you get, you know, to really dive into each individual game, really, really probably give legitimate thought to every single player in the pool in a way that you just can't almost do uh, in in the larger slates. What I also love about it is, you know, your threshold for players entering your lineup becomes a lot lower in these short slates, right? You know, we're often talking about guys in week four, week six, week eight, whatever. And it's like, oh, what if this guy could get you 80 yards and a touchdown? It's like, yeah, he probably still doesn't end up in the winning lineup, but it becomes kind of a bummer. Whereas here you can, you can make a lot easier of a pitch for some of these thinner plays that you think have might have a, a slightly underrated matchup because you don't need as many other players to fail to get them in there. And the last thing that I love about it is when you get every single individual game happening in succession, you know, thinking about, frankly, the timing of the lineups you're choosing winds up mattering so much because with each game, you're getting a little bit more information. You know, I faded this guy who's 30% owned. Did he go off? Did he do nothing? You know, with every individual piece of information that you're getting all weekend, your lineups are getting incrementally better or worse to the point where, you know, even if most of, even if you're deciding your lineup, you're playing a Cowboys and Bucks stack. And so you probably don't know much about your lineup until all the way to Monday after each game, you're getting a little bit more information about what you need that might end up altering how you play. So to me, you know, I'm building lineups in a sense on a day like today, but really what you just need to build is you kind of just need to build through the first game and then have an idea. Okay. What's my stance in these first couple of games. And you're probably going to find yourself reassessing on Saturday night, really what you're going to do for the rest of your lineups. Once you get that information from the first couple of games. And that's, what's so fun to me. No, I, I love that. I love that because we're going to talk about it here in a second, but there's a reason why that's one of my favorite games. And it's not just because of, of ownership there. It's because of the time that you actually get to attack it. But, man, like it, it's so crazy how much chalk is going to be played on Sunday's games across the entire thing. So we'll be diving into that. We will be talking a little bit about if we're actually chasing this chalk or if we're going to go ahead and fade it, let somebody else try to, try to bite into it. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of these, these like you brought up, the individual matchups and where you could see certain advantageous positions ends up happening. Uh, you know, like Devin Singletary and the Bills, and how you could probably leverage off of Josh Allen ownership, Stefan Diggs ownership mm -hmm. by going to Devin Singletary, who went off and had nine receptions the last time they played. So uh, I'm excited to kind of break down these matchups. Are you ready to kick this one off? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right, let's go. That is right, everybody. We are here to talk playoff DFS. I am Chase Vernon. You guys can find me over there at FF underscore intervention on Twitter. And I'm joined by Jacob Sanderson. You guys can find him on Twitter at Jacob Sanderson. Man, last week was epic. Week 18. We ended up having some, some great picks across the entire board. I know I made a bunch of money. I We had like, what? I think I ended up setting like 18 lineups and 17 out of my eight, 18 lineups ended up cashing in. Uh, so I'm excited to, to dive into this one and to actually use the money that I made last week into making big money this week. I'm chasing dollar dollar bills, y'all. But what I'm not going to be chasing is the chalk as much this week because we have two games that is going to be very heavily owned, Jacob. I think the first one is going to be pretty much obvious where we talk about the Dolphins and the Bills game. Right where Josh Allen has attempted 103 passing attempts over the past two times that he's played the Dolphins. Uh, meanwhile, Hill had a good game, and Waddle had a good game in both of those, so you could always run it back. But the more interesting part is that Josh Allen only threw one touchdown to a wide receiver, Isaiah McKenzie, who I think, is he questionable? He might even be out uh, this week. because Yeah, he, might, he may not play, which is pretty interesting. So all of his touchdowns, all of his six passing touchdowns went to uh, the tight end position or the running back position outside of the Isaiah McKenzie touchdown. So for me, I think we're going to see heavy chalk across this game. I think Josh Allen is going to be one of the top well, yeah, players. Uh, maybe you I can think play anybody you want on Miami. 
do you want to though with Skylar Thompson over there? I mean, do you do you really want to? Because I'll put that's, it this way, if I'm playing Buffalo into ownership, I'm correlating it with Miami. Well, I think you have to at that point. Yeah. I mean, like you have to think that they're going to continue to pass and going to end up blowing Miami out to an extent. I think, but Miami's I think going this game, to be forced pass. I think this game is more interesting to me. Um, I assume the other one you're going to talk about is the Vikings and the Giants. I think this yeah. one's more interesting because there, while there's going to be a lot of heavy ownership on Allen um, and on Diggs, I, I think that there's more ways to get a little bit off the beaten path where. You know, Gabe, Gabe Davis isn't going to be—he's not going to be unowned, but he's not going to be super highly owned. You know, we talked about what's going to happen in the slot with Buffalo. That—that's kind of a question mark at the moment um, because even if McKenzie doesn't did not play, you know, if this was a few weeks ago, we'd probably be firing up all of our Khalil Shakirs. It might be Cole Beasley instead of Khalil Shakir, or it might be a hybrid of both. But then the more interesting thing is, I mean, I mean Jeff Wilson's going to get some ownership because of Mostert being ruled out. Um, but if you want to play Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, your all systems go on that. I mean. Obviously, it's painful to do so without Tua with Teddy Bridgewater. But, I mean, if you're expecting him to play from behind, we know that this offense really only goes through those two guys. Uh, Tyreek Hill, as far as I'm concerned, can get open against pretty much any coverage that you throw at him. And, and he might get, you know, he, he get there with Skylar Thompson. I don't think that that's inconceivable. We saw a game, it was about half with Thompson and half with Bridgewater. But it was the game against the Vikings where they fell way behind early. And I mean, they were just peppering Tyreek Hill with targets repeatedly in all areas of the field. And they were willing to give up that underneath stuff because they were too afraid of Tyreek Hill getting them back in the game by breaking a 75-yard touchdown on them, right? So I could see a game where he, he gets 15 targets and 12 catches in this spot and, and winds up in, in an optimal lineup playing from behind. Um, but I, I think there's ways to get, get in with this one in a way with the Vikings and the Giants, which we'll talk about harder to find ways to run for cover in that game. Yeah, yeah, to an extent. Now, you know, I, I will talk about that one here in a second, but Tyreek Hill sitting at 8K. Like, you're going to have to no, get 25 points in a minimum, minimum yeah. in order for him to be, like, relevant. You're probably going to have to break 30 with him, and I just don't see that happening. Even if he does see 12 receptions and, and you know, 100 yards receiving, that still might not I mean, even get you there. That's 25. Yeah. Give me one yeah. touchdown. He's going to have to have a touchdown in this one, essentially. But I, I think more so, I, what we more so might see out of him is going to be probably lying around like eight receptions or nine receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown, which still also doesn't get you there. So uh, for me, I, I'm going to be fading this game completely uh, for the most part. Sure, I'll have some some Josh Allen. Like I'll have a few shares because you can't just say, "Hey, don't don't play this game," because we, we've seen it happen. But I just feel like there's going to be more of a case for this game to fail than it will be to actually hit. Uh, we already talked about how he doesn't target or how Miami's been able to shut down their, their wide receiver somehow, the Bills wide receiver somehow. Uh, we've seen how bad Skylar Thompson's been and how the Bills can end up approaching it. And that's actually why I like Devin Singletary in this one, which I brought up. Now, I know the Bills defense is chalk, but I think that you could still play the, the Bills defense. I get it. I understand. But the price differences aren't that massive for the, the top tier defenses versus the bottom tier. So... Uh, you know, I, I'm going to be playing Singletary. I don't think he's going to see significant ownership. I could see some James Cook. I could see some Dawson Knox. But I think that you can also play the Bills defense, even with it being chalk and not be too scared that it, it's going to end up resulting in in negative points. At least you're keeping up with the the likelihood of this being the top scoring defense outside of maybe San Francisco this weekend. Oh, I'm I'm fine with that. I mean, I don't really ever want to play the the highly owned defense. This this game. Just so I'm correct, right? This is game number three in the order of operations here. Uh, this game is number three. This is the one o'clock Sunday game. Right. So, I mean, it's going to be the, the the other own defense probably on the slate will, will be Bengals and 49ers. You'll already get information on the 49ers, right, uh, by the time this game kicks off. So, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm probably the one defense that I'm fading most heavily is the 49ers, mostly because I want to have a lot of flexibility to make swaps in my lineups, right? And so the idea of locking in my defense in the first game just seems very unappetizing to me on, on either side. Like that just limits the amount of switches that I can do in my lineup because I've locked in a stupid defense. I think it's one thing if you're playing like the Seattle defense where, you know, they're the cheapest defense available uh, or second cheapest defense available. So if you play the Seattle defense, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to swap for to spend more defense and spend less other places. You're fine with that. But like, I don't want to be in a spot where I play the 49ers defense at ownership 
And then I'm looking later, I'm like, man, I really wish I had $400 to make a swap that I want to make. And I can't because I played the stupid fucking defense, right? The Bills defense, I'm a little bit more open to playing just for that reason, because at least I'll have a picture of what my lineup looks like after Saturday. And I've probably already made most of my swaps going into the, going into Sunday's games. But yeah, hard, hard for me to eat a 30% owned uh, defense. Uh, it's not something I'll do often. I think where I would do it is if I'm as if I'm playing with one of the Bills running backs. And I'm open to doing yeah. it with either of the Bills running backs because they're not going to be owned at all. Um, and, and I'm going to, I think that's my favorite way to play the bills. I will, I'm guessing the way that we're talking through this, that I will have a lot more Tyree kill on my lineups than, than you will. I'm, I'm really excited about the idea of getting 5% rostered on one of the best wide receivers in football, who has the highest target share in football like that. That's exciting to me. I mean, his role, I understand the quarterback downgrade is massive, but his, his role on a given week, just in terms of his share of the offense is, is really no different than Justin Jefferson's. And and it's frankly much better than Stefan Diggs in terms of the expensive wide receivers going to be played. And he's going to be played nowhere near the same degree. And, and I mean, his ceiling, like his ceiling just to me is not, it's dependent on quarterback play to an extent, like, like any wide receiver is. But the Tyreek Hill, like that we remember, you know, it used to be very dependent on, on in, in many ways, these 50 yard catch touchdowns. And, and certainly that's part of it. And he's had that this year. But he's also shown a ceiling through sheer volume. I mean, he has games this year. He has one, two, three, four, five, six games of nine or more receptions this year. And, and those have been distributed in terms of some of those games, Tua played entirely. Some of those games were Skylar. Some of those games were half Tua, half Teddy. Um, and then you look at what he's able to do after the catch, right? You know, I don't. there's opportunities for him, I think, to break explosive plays even if Skylar can't complete passes 20, 30 yards down the field. And there's opportunities for him to just rack up obscene levels of volume in trail script. And again, the most important thing is he's not going to be owned. So to me, I mean, if, if I'm able to play this game through either Cook or Singletary plus Tyreek or, or Waddle, if you want, I, I just don't know the Waddle's even necessary because Tyreek's already not going to be owned. So I don't feel the need to go to Waddle. But you play one of those with one of the Bills running backs. I mean, you're getting access to a game that people are going to have a lot of play on without any ownership whatsoever. Um, I, I like that. So I'm, I'm pretty interested in the Tyreek Hill uh, play this week. Yeah, it's just for me, Tyreek Hill hasn't hit over 25 points since like week 13. Uh, you know, he, he's had the one game with nine receptions after week 13, um, but he's only had one game that's, with that's a, a nice, 100 yards. That's a nice uh, specific, specific, specific mark you hit, excluding well, his 24 and 23. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told you, he has to hit like, thir- for me, 25 points minimum, like in order to see the well, profit. Because I need, I need my wide receiver to do. hit three times. I need to hit my three times return on investment for, for the wide but, receiver position. But it also at depends on what other people do, right? If you play Tyreek with Singletary, what you're doing in that combo is is you're you're also implicitly betting against Diggs twice, right? You're 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 expecting there probably to be a game script where the Bills play aggressively from ahead, which reduces Diggs's volume expectancy a little bit. You're expecting Singletary to take a touchdown or two from Stefan Diggs. That probably like if that is a, if that Singletary play hits, you know, in a big way. It, that leverage is off of Diggs to an extent. He's probably not hitting his 30. And, and then you've you've taken one of those top elite wide receivers that Tyreek Hill's competing against out of play. You know, may, maybe <sighs> the other option you could do is if you're not, if you want to play Tyreek Hill, you can play Tyreek Hill with Dalvin Cook or with TJ Hawkinson. You know, guys who are going to leverage off of Justin Jefferson. Because to me, that depends. If, if Justin Jefferson and and um, Stephon Diggs are both below 20, then Hill can get there with 23. Right. I mean, it's going to depend what lower scoring wide receivers do, but to a large extent, I mean, you're, you're not competing against the entire field in that way as much as I think you're competing against the other elite wide receivers who are taking up that spot in people's lineups. Yeah. And I, for me, I'd much rather bet on the other elite wide receivers. So let's go ahead and move on to the Vikings and Giants game, which is also big time chalk. And, you know, for me, I, I don't like it, but I do think that we're going to see a higher scoring game overall mm-hmm. in the Vikings and Giants, which makes me like it even more than the than the uh, Dolphins and the Bills game. And I understand why you don't like it, Jacob. You don't like it because it ends up not offering you opportunities to pivot off of the chalk, right? Like people are going to play in Jeff- Justin Jefferson. People are going to be playing TJ Hawkinson. People are going to be playing Davin Cook, Saquon Barkley. Maybe not as much Davin Cook, but still Saquon Barkley, I believe. David Cook will still be Both up there. Guys will be probably, uh, Isaiah yeah. Hodgins will be chalk. Uh, Pettis, James. Or not Pettis. Uh, uh, James, Richie James will be chalk. Yeah. So 
right here is where you got to kind of got to figure out exactly what you're going to do. And you could end up going with the chalk and carrying the whole entire field with you for the whole entire game, but you can get different with a couple other uh, games, which, which is what I'm going to end up doing with the Vikings giants. I don't mind playing the chalk. I'm probably going to play a lot of the chalk. Probably going to play a lot of Justin Jefferson. Uh, and honestly, I'm going to play Dalvin cook in a lot of lineups, even without this game being involved, but I need to get my combination of lineups into this one. I'm not going to bet against it entirely because I do think it is going to be a high scoring game. It could be the, the highest scoring, if not the second highest scoring game on the weekend. Um, so I'm going to get my, my, I'm going to get my, my chips in there for this game and then try to get different in other games by playing a guy like maybe Kenneth Walker or something on those lines versus trying to leverage inside of this game. Yeah. I've, I've been struggling with this game a lot because in particular on the giant side like there's there's simply nowhere to hide from ownership you really can't play a viable giant and expect to turn over the cards and see less yep. than 15 20 percent you're going to see daniel jones competing with josh allen probably for the highest owned quarterback on the slate you're going to see saquon barkley more than likely the highest owned running back on the slate or close to it you're going to see richie james and isaiah hodgins probably in the top five most owned wide receivers slayton less than those guys but he's still going to have ownership on him i expect you know I guess Daniel Bellinger is probably like maybe ten percent, right? So he's not going to be quite as bad, but so it's tough. There, there's really nowhere to, to super go with that. Um, that's going to hide you from ownership. And on the Viking side, you know the same. It, it's Jefferson. Jefferson's going to have the most. Cousins probably going to be third. I'm guessing third or fourth in terms of the quarterbacks. We'll, we'll see where he fits in with the Chargers and Jaguars guys, but he'll be up there. Cook, who's been total asked for like a month is still going to get ownership because he projects decently in terms of his workload. You know, Jefferson's going to be off the charts. Hawkinson, probably the highest owned tight end. So it's a really tough game to, to play in a way that's creative. And, and it, and it forces a lot of pressure on the rest of your lineup if you play it in a conventional way. So here's, here's what I won't do. I'm probably just not going to play like the standard version of this game, which, you know, probably comes down to something like Daniel Jones plus two cheap wide receivers and Jefferson or Kirk Cousins plus Jefferson plus Hawkinson and Barkley and and maybe throw in a cheap Giants wide receiver like that I think it's just going to be it's going to put so much pressure on the on the rest of your lineup in a really condensed slate where you're not going to have a lot of information if there's any lineups where that's probably not where I'm going to start now I'll tease that out what I would look to do is if you want to play this game a lot if you're if you're really feeling good about this game I would look in the first three games right and build up a what's a lineup that could work where i'm playing a fairly standard version of this game with some really weird shit in the first three so at least you already know where you're at right like play someone who's very off the board you know fade someone who's very on the board in either of these chargers jags game the one that we just talked about miami buffalo or the san francisco seattle game and if you kind of hit that parlay where you're fading higher own guys in those games that bust the guy that you're playing that's off the charts is hitting. That's where now you can revert to this more standard stack that I just talked about, right? To me, that's where I would try to, to get into it if you want to play that once you've gathered that information. The nice thing is if that goes to shit and you're, you're not in a great spot, there's going to be so much in this game that if you kind of fade it entirely, you know, or, or you fade it in, in an implicit fashion, and it does bust, you're going to be able to get back a lot of your value on the field. You're going to be able to get right back into the ball game here if this game goes sideways because so many of your opponents are going to be relying on it. I think the guy that I'm probably most excited to play if I'm just playing this game as like a semi-fade is I'm pretty content just playing Barkley into a lot of ownership in the sense that, to me, he's a far more secure play than any of these Giants wide receivers, right? I mean, they're all interesting in the sense that they're very cheap um, and, and they project decently well. But the path to failure for any individual one of Hodgins, Richie James, Darius Slayton, I mean, it's, it's a very easy path to failure. They're Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins, and Darius Slayton. Uh, Barkley, less so. And even though he's going to be owned, there's going to be so much other ownership on Giants that he's pulling from any time that he scores a touchdown. That if you're playing Barkley only, you're, you're eating a lot of chalk, but you're still getting some leverage off of Jones and Hodgins and Slayton and James and the gang in the process. And then lastly... I think the other way you do it is if you just decide I'm so in on this game, you know, this is so clearly the best game to me. How do I get around this? You just play fucking everyone, right? It's a small enough slate. You just you just play it for the rest of the other slate to fail, especially if none of the first three games go particularly hog wild, right? You've only done a couple strategic pieces. Play Jones, Barkley, James, Hodgins, 
Jefferson, Cook. Play, play like six or seven guys in this game, right? And just say, I'm going to go all in on this game going crazy. Yes, it's all going to be owned, but I'm going to have the most of it, right? And in that sense, and we've seen that these massive onslaught stacks can work in playoffs before where one game just completely crowds out the sun. We Chase talked about the Steelers-Browns game a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, it just it comes to mind. An example of this in terms of a really highly owned game would be last year, the Chiefs and the Bills, right? There was kind of two ways to play that Chiefs-Bills divisional round last year, which was one was, oh, shit, this game has a ton of ownership. I'm going to hope that it doesn't go so crazy. I'm going to get it off everywhere else, right? The other one was, yeah, this game's going to go nuts. And I'm going to beat everybody else who plays it because I'm not just going to play Allen, Singletary, <laughs> Diggs, and McKinnon. I'm going to play Allen, Singletary, Gabe, Diggs, <laughs> um, McKinnon, Tyreek Hill, fucking everybody, right? You know, that's kind of the way that you look at it. So that, that's kind of exactly like the direction I was going. But you didn't bring up one player that will have low ownership. And this guy, we talked about DJ Chark back, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, right? And and it was like, okay, his first three games or four games, he had at least five targets in each one of those games, but he was still super cheap. And we couldn't figure out why they wouldn't raise his price. And he's going off for touchdowns and he's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And this player right here has had at least five targets in four of the past five games. He's had a touchdown in three out of the past five games. He's given you 14.8 fantasy points, 34.7 fantasy points, 18.9, and then 19.7 fantasy points. This guy is going ham. And that's KJ Osborne. KJ Osborne has been a pivotal part to this offense lately. And I didn't like KJ Osborne. I was never a KJ Osborne truther. But just seeing his utilization, seeing his routes run, see Kirk Cousins start to gravitate towards him while defenses are literally putting three guys on Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson is seeing triple coverage right now. It's it's absurd. It's insane. But it's left KJ Osborne wide open because they have to cover Hawkinson now. Right. Hawkinson went on a stretch of like five or six games where he just destroyed teams, including the Giants, I believe. So now we have an opportunity for KJ Osborne to see no coverage, if not one-on-one -on -one coverage, from probably the third guy on this offense because the, the second guy is going to be covering Thielen. The, the linebacker or the safety is going to be all over Hawkinson. So we're going to see KJ Osborne in single probably, coverage. They should probably just stop covering Thielen at this point. I think, I think we, <laughs> yeah. should just let, we should just let him do what he's going to do. You know? <laughs> I, guess yeah. let's, let's, <laughs> I just don't understand how there's no ownership on KJ Osborne this week. I mean, I'm looking at all these different these different trends, these different mocks, and I was looking at my own, and I'm like, okay, like I barely have him in any of my lineups. I need to go back and fix that because he's sitting there like 5%. I mean, KJ Osborne could easily be the highest scoring guy on this in this game. And so if you want to get different, Go play KJ Osborne, right? Like he could actually yeah. offer leverage and I'd still play Justin Jefferson with them or I'd play Dalvin Cook or I might even play both if I'm going to go heavy on this game and I'm going to take the, the Viking side. Hell, I could take this these three guys. I could take Cook, Jefferson, and and uh, and Osborne. And on the other side, play Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, mm -hmm. and then Richie James and, and Slayton or Richie James and, and Isaiah Hodgins, who you know I love Hodgins. I called Hodgins the last time they played. Um, now Hodgins has seen tremendous ownership, so I don't know if I want to play Hodgins this week, but I, I might play Slayton, right? So, yeah. I mean, like, I seriously don't, I don't hate this game because I do think it's going to be higher scoring than the Bills and Dolphins game. But let's go ahead and let's hop, hop over I, I to... I love the Osborne call just, just really quick. Like that, I'm super into that. It's, you know, it's like, I think we get so locked into projections sometimes, right? And it's like, okay, oh, Isaiah Hodgins or Richie James, like project a little bit better, right? It's like, what are projections when we're talking about the wide receiver position, right? It's like routes, and then, you know, how many targets are you going to get on any given route? But that's so variable, right? I mean, ultimately, okay, what's a mean? If this guy's a mean going to have 6.4 targets, this guy's going to have a mean of 5.1 targets, you know, that swaps one for one, a 30-yard catch is caught instead of dropped, Right. There's so much uncertainty. And if you really zoom out, it's like, what, what is really the difference between these three Giants wide receivers and KJ Osborne? You know, it's like, OK, you can quibble. Oh, Justin's going to take a higher force. Yeah. Right. But when you zoom out, what's the difference between a KJ Osborne and a Richie James and an Isaiah Hodges? Whatever? They're all fairly average <laughs> replacement level wide receivers who are going to run every route in a high scoring game. Right. And OK, yeah. is some of them more likely to get targets than the other on any given snap? Sure. But what you're really doing is you're saying, look, I don't have to pay that much. I get the fellow slot in my wide receiver in a fun game, and they're going to run every route, and then we'll see what happens. And you're getting the same benefit in that regard out of Osborne that you're getting out of these bum-ass giants. So I'm I'm down with the Osborne play, absolutely. If I'm playing Cousins and you want to double him, I would make sure that he's one of the two that you double um, in place of Jefferson or Hawkinson to get a little bit more unique. And, and yeah, and anything you're doing with the Giants, sure, why not bring him back?
All right, let's go ahead and hop on to the first game on the slate, and let's talk about the Seahawks in San Francisco. Because, um, listen, like, everybody's assuming this is going to be a blowout, but don't forget, like, Tyler Lockett actually destroys the 49ers on, like, a regular basis, right? The 49ers, mm-hmm. they're not bad in the slot, but they struggle against the slot to an extent. They struggle against wide receivers who move all over the formation. That's Tyler Lockett, like, to a T. They've done a good job shutting down DK Metcalf, but, I mean, Tyler Lockett, he has good games against them. And so... I'm going to be looking for for obviously the 49ers to be up, right? I'm going to play my Christian McCaffrey shares. Like I, I I can't not play Christian McCaffrey, you know, in this matchup against the Seahawks, who we talk about every single week being bad up against the running backs. Now on the or now up against the run, but they've always been bad up against pass catching running backs, which mm-hmm. we all know Christian McCaffrey thrives in. Uh, but him and, and Kittle, <laughs> like they're absolutely going to go ham. Like, could you imagine like Kyle Shanahan? Like in the beginning of the week, right? They're drawing up the the game plan for this match against the Seahawks, and they say, "Okay, we're gonna pass the ball to. We're gonna have like twenty different routes for Kittle. We're gonna have like twenty different routes for McCaffrey, and we'll let's just call it a day. Let's just call it a day. We're right. done. They're done by Monday afternoon, you, designing the whole entire playbook for the week. Do you believe the Kittle ownership projections? Like I'm seeing them projected it's low so owned, crazy. And, it makes, and it makes some sense, like from uh, the way that ownership projections get done by sites perspective, which is like they do the projections, they apply an algorithm, and then they kind of take the ownership projection that spits out. Kind of just don't believe it. Like I, I just because I, I mean, if Kittle's actually going to come in like sub five percent, I will put him in every single one of my lineups. Um, but like, are are people aren't p aren't people going to IKB that and be like Seattle sucks against tight end? George Kittle annihilates them every time he plays them. I don't give a shit about the salary or the projection. I'm just going to no. click it. Th- there's yeah, a massive, not click it. No, because you they want to get in these other studs at the other positions around the the format. So like they have like well we have five or six wide receivers over seven mm-hmm. k. We have a bunch of running backs that are that are high priced running backs right that are above seven k. They're going to want to play these other positions. They're not going to want to play six k for for a tight end when they think that they can find a cheaper tight end, a tricky one like a Daniel Bellinger to All squeeze right. into the lineup. And, so and what do you, I don't do you think, think he will like, be high owned. How 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 about this? I'll ask this question. How high would George Kittle's ownership need to be when you flip over the cards to be upset about playing a ton of Kittle. Fifty <laughs> percent. Okay. Well, he won't be that. I think. Uh, I think my mark is like okay. My my mark on this in terms of, and it's not based on like what I think is maybe the efficient ownership. It's more just like okay. In my perfect world, what I want to make a lock button play, an expensive tight end who drastically reduces the flexibility of my lineups in the very first game of a six game slate when there's so much that's important about you know, having flexibility, playing things sequentially, um, who doesn't project particularly well. Like, is that a guy that I would want to have in all my lineups in a vacuum? Uh, no, no, it's not. Um, am I willing to do it if George Kill is going to be low-owned in this nut matchup? A hundred fucking percent. Um, so I think for me, if I open up the cards and he's like 10 and I have him in 80% of my lineups, I'll be like, okay. If it's like 20, I'll be like, ah, oh, that's unfortunate. If it's actually going to be five or less, then I don't care. Just... Like, whatever, I'll play the Sunday-only slate if it doesn't work out. Dude, I mean, even if he gets you, like, I don't know. No, he's getting his 30. One less touchdown, right? I think he is, too, but let's just say he gives us 20. You're still happy with 20. He's getting his 30. He's taking us to the promised land. You're static with with 18 points from George Kittle, the tight end position, because his tight end position sucks this week for the most part. I mean, there are no stud tight ends in this entire slate. Andrews is not a stud with Tyler Huntley. I'm sorry, sir. This is not the same corollary that we followed last year. Yeah, well, hey, Kyle, Mark Andrews with Tyler Huntley against the Bengal or against Bengals. We have seen this yield results before in our lives. Yeah, we, we've seen it, but it's just about as reliable as George Kittle going off up against a tougher team with the tight end. The thing but, is, you know, Kyle Shanahan just takes advantage of defenses and their weaknesses. So he's literally like, okay, oh, we're going to go ahead and run George Kittle out today. We're going to go ahead and run out Christian McCaffrey. Uh, sorry, Ayuk. Sorry, Debo. Like, you guys aren't going to be involved. In Ayuk hasn't caught a pass against the Seattle Seahawks his entire career. I, I don't think. Don't really? check. Don't fact. No, it's not true. I, I just mean like. Oh. <laughs> functionally, obviously he catches passes. I, I was like, functionally, what? functionally he's horrible against them. He gets, he gets, you know, like you said, Kyle Shanahan schemes it. Seattle, you know what Seattle wants to do, right? They they want to they want to protect the deep areas of the field. They want to protect the corners of the field. So you attack them with running backs, tight ends, and slot wide receivers over the middle. I mean, Ayuk has a defined role in their offense, right? Which is he's there to beat man coverage on the outside. He gets utilized in the red zone. He gets utilized in the deep and intermediate areas of the field. He gets utilized in all the ways that the Seattle Seahawks defend. And Shanahan's just content to not give a shit. Like, he has other weapons. So, like, Ayuk I, yeah. just – every time they play against the Seahawks – and the Seahawks usually have a bad pass defense. So, like, you'll usually see, like, the green, like – 
DVP matchup. You go, oh, it's a good IU. It's never a good IU. He's, he's done nothing against the Seahawks like in his entire life. Yeah, I, it's it, it's an obvious play for me, an obvious fade with uh, getting rid of Ayuk. But I do have one interesting game that I want to play, just or you know, lineup that I want to play, just because I feel like it's going to. Uh, I, I feel like we're we're not going to see any ownership on it at all, and that's going with the Geno Smith, the Tyler Lockett, and the Kenneth Walker who started catching passes <laughs> yeah. lately. Like there, there's no ownership on that. There's a good chance that the 49ers go up early and Gino is forced to pass. And Gino could throw three interceptions in this game, but he could also throw three touchdowns. Now, I think there's only been one touchdown scored by the Seahawks against the 49ers in the two games this season. But still, like, uh, there's something weird going on there with the Seahawks. Like, have you seen their practices? Have you seen the way that that Pete Carroll's been acting? Like, it, it's very bizarre. And it just feels like this is like just something strange is in the water. I don't know. I'm going to play some Gino lineups this week. Uh, I'm in, I'm interested. I mean, it's hard for me to to tie up stacks in that first game. It, it's really tough. Um, but I'm I'm open minded to it. I mean, that's the thing where if you play, you know, if you play Gino with even just one Seattle pass catcher and and you play Kittle coming back, whatever, and it hits. I mean, then you're good. Like you're in such a massively advantageous position. You can really play anybody from Seattle, and and you don't have too many ownership concerns. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be it's, it's not going to be a highly owned spot, you know, especially with weather concerns coming in. Even Ken Walker, I mean, that's probably one of my favorite plays of the week. It, it, the matchup sucks, obviously. Everybody knows San Francisco is very good on the ground. Um, but just from a perspective of a running back who's going to get all of the snaps, I mean, DJ Dallas, I'm, I'm not even entirely sure the extent of his health. Uh, he was banged up last week. Walker ended up playing 90% of the snaps. Um, they're going to utilize Kenneth Walker plenty. I mean, they don't run the ball with anybody else but him, you know, they kind of fluctuate his past game usage back and forth, it seems. But at least in the last game against San Francisco, he got plenty of routes. Um, he, he's going to have the opportunity to break big plays. And just from a perspective of volume and ownership, I, I'm very open to playing Walker. And, and also it just kind of gets you into a contrarian build of the game, right? You're flipping the idea of how people think the game is going to go in its head. People think Seattle's going to get blown out. They don't want to play Kenneth Walker. What if they don't, right? You never know. It's Brock Purdy's a seventh round pick making his first NFL start. What if he sucks, right? Like that's... I know people have anointed him as the chosen one, but it's possible that he just sucks in this game. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like if anybody is going to be sitting there playing a running back at 6K, they're going to end up pivoting to Etienne. You know, they're going to yeah, end up pivoting to, to Pollard. Like, And Pollard doesn't even have a better matchup. That's just a name that they're going to gravitate towards. Like, I don't think Kenneth Walker's going to see any ownership at all uh, this yeah, week. So, Walker I mean, Etienne's role is like the exact same, right? It's like they play, they get anytime that the team wants to give carries, they're the one getting carries unless they're tired or need a breather or something. And then they run a lot of routes. They get subbed off on some like obvious third downs, but like in the bulk of their. Past situations are the one running routes. They just don't get targeted very often. But like their their role is essentially the exact same, and they're the same price. And Etienne's going to be two and a half x times as owned because the matchup's a lot better. And, and the matchup is a lot better. But those things can fluctuate, right? It's running backs. All it takes is one or two big carries. So I will say I'm not going to be playing any Brock Purdy this weekend. I'm not going to be no, playing any Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. Uh, the Seahawks have been great up against the quarterback as a whole, especially from preventing them from blowing up. Uh, Jared Goff is the only quarterback that's gone off against them this entire season. And uh, Derek Carr had a very, very good game, but it still wasn't like going off. So I don't want to take a chance on Brock Purdy, who is a very cap ceiling. You got to get three touchdowns from him. He's not going to throw for more than 250 yards, most likely. So I'm going to go ahead and fade Brock Purdy completely. I'm fading Brandon Ayuk completely. I will have a little bit of Debo Samuel, just a touch. I'll have a lot of George Kittle. I'll have a lot of of, of cmc do you have any All concerns right. about the rain in this game uh not so much i i you know it, it it's a rainy game and and you know i i just don't care about it that much like i'm, I'm not overly concerned first yeah yeah like we're not talking about like terrible conditions or anything all right so we have the chargers and jags game next and honestly i'm gonna go ahead and say that the one game that they're the one player that i love more than any other player uh in terms of of this game matchup is travis Etienne, who has the chargers who were poor up against the middle we've seen travis Etienne absolutely explode in the center of the field he's going to see a little bit of ownership but i don't think it's going to be like over the top ownership however when you play travis Etienne. You're going to see a lot of lineups that are somewhat similar to yours because he's sitting at a very awkward range where you're not going to be able to play an elite running back, but you are going to play probably a one-off. With that being said, outside of ETN, I think that this game is going to see a significant level of stacked lineups in comparison to like, you know, you're going to hmm. see individual plays with Ty Lockie. You're going to see individual plays with CeeDee Lamb. You're going to see individual plays with Isaiah Hodgins, right, to make like lineups work. With this one, you're going to see a ton 
of stacks when it comes to Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen, especially with Mike Williams coming out. I think we're going to start to see that affect the the ownership percentages on some of these projected websites. Game, to be honest, it sucks. Yeah, it does. It hurts the entire game. Uh, we're going to see a little bit of ownership come off of Isaiah Hodgins and whatnot and going to Jordan Palmer instead. Uh, we're going to see some some uh, significant stacks with with Trevor Lawrence and Christian Kirk. But it, it's not like we're going to see chalk out of this game, but we will see chalky stacks. Like, I'm not going to play Kirk by himself. I don't think very many people are. Uh, I'm not going to play... I'm going to play Keenan Allen by himself, but a lot of the lineups that I'm going to be playing, Justin Herbert, of course, I'm going to be playing Keenan Allen, a lot of Austin Eckler in there as well. So for this game, if I'm going to, to attack this game, I'm actually going to attack this game with skinny stacks and try to avoid playing either quarterback from either side. Uh, I, I just want to get away from, from those chalky stacks, and I want to try to create leverage by playing skinny stacks on other stacked games. How do you feel about that? I'm not sure that the quarterbacks are going to be as owned as you think. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing them coming in are a little under ten. Uh, I mean, I think I think there's a decent chance we get. We'll see. That could be wrong. I mean, it's like the vibes to me, like my inclination when I first looked at the slate, and I and I try to do this so that I'm maybe like try to think through where I think ownership projections might be wrong in advance. Is like when I just looked in the slate without like projections in in my mind. Um, without even seeing projections, without even seeing ownership projections or even just point projections. I was like, where's the most ownership going to land? And I was like, probably going to be about 50-50 between this game and the Giants game, right? That was kind of what I thought. And then when I look and see the projections, it's like, oh, you know, ownership is projected to be a lot heavier on the Giants-Vikings game. And it makes sense in the sense that there's just a lot cheaper avenues to get into that game um, with, with those underpriced Giants wide receivers. So that makes some sense. I'm just not entirely sure, like, I think that optimizers will will do that, uh, but I think that human beings, you know, if they're hand building lineups, which I think is almost more common in these smaller slates, um, you know, I think that this that this game could end up shooting over those ownership projections, just in the <laughs> sense that it's pretty clearly the second most interesting game on the slate from like a really close game with a pretty high total, um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if we flip over the cards and we do see that no, Trevor Lawrence is not 7% owned. He's 15% owned, you know, and, and that makes this game a little bit trickier to me. If, if these guys are actually going to come in where they're projected to be owned at, then I, I would just make this game my everything, you know, because I think it's pretty much the same idea as the Vikings and the Giants game, where you have a team uh, in the Jaguars, similar to the Vikings, that has a very efficient offense um, and, and a highly susceptible defense. And you have a team in the Chargers where, you know, they have some limitations to their offense, but they have a really strong matchup uh, and their defense is okay. You know, if it's not incredible, I, I think that this game could shoot out just based on the talent of these two quarterbacks. And, you know, there isn't that super, super high priced option. So it gets really easy to make these doubles and triples. I, I think that, you know, with the chargers too, that's interesting is there's so many ways to play the chargers when Mike Williams isn't there because they, they, you know, you have Josh Palmer takes some of the role. DeAndre Carter takes some of the role. Gerald Everett becomes a lot more involved. You know, it's pretty easy to build these Herbert doubles where you go, okay, I'll take one of Eckler and Keenan, and then I'll take one or two of the low-priced guys, right? It builds itself. So I do agree with you in the sense that a lot of the lineups will look kind of similar playing this game in, in terms of how it'll be constructed. But I also think that there's enough avenues that you can build within those stacks that especially if you want to go hog wild and stack five, six players from this game, you know, you can do that in a fairly unique way. It's not going to have a ton of product ownership. So I'm, I'm cautiously pumped to stack this game more than probably any other game. But there's like a voice in the back of my head that says, actually, it's going to be a lot more owned than projections think. And then I'm potentially going to regret how much I've stacked this game. That's kind of where I'm at with it right now. So for me, it's more so like, all right, we have Trevor Lawrence, right? Who's going to be right around 10% owned or so, if I remember correctly. Um, we oh, have boy. Christian Kirk, who's going to see about 15% ownership, right? And when we break it down as to like how many of the 10% of the Trevor Lawrence lineups will also have Christian Kirk in there, it'll probably be like eight to 9%. Yeah. So if you're going to play this game and if you're going to chase that, like you're going to end up having a lot of these similar base lineups, which means that you're not just having to beat everybody that has Trevor Lawrence or beat out everybody that has her cut or Christian Kirk. You're also going to have to beat out the the people that have both of those, which I think is so like, I said, right. Jones not, too. Yeah, so so there are ways where you can get a little bit weird with it and, and play that. But honestly, like I'd much rather play the Christian Kirk, right, in a single stack lineup and then fade Trevor Lawrence. So now I'm knocking out 9% of the 15% ownership that Christian Kirk will carry with him. 
you end up knocking that out and all of a sudden like you're, you're in a good position if you end up going the other side with with Keenan Allen and he hits because Keenan Allen is likely either stacked with with Justin Herbert or he's a run back for the right. Trevor Lawrence side with with Christian Kirk so if you play those two without Justin Herbert and without uh without Trevor Lawrence, we're probably talking about like less than 4% ownership for those two guys, maybe, maybe less than 3% ownership, which will end up being completely contrarian to the overall ownership of those two right. players. If that makes I sense. Agree. No, that'll probably be unique. Cause I think if you're looking at it from like a projections perspective, right? If, I, if you're building one lineup and obviously most people aren't, but if you're building one lineup and you're like, okay, there's these two, two games that are really high scoring that are really close, right? We're going to get this one. We're going to get the Giants Minnesota one. You're like, okay, how should I play it? And then you kind of look through and you'd be like, oh, well, you know, the Giants, they have all these cheap wide receivers. They all project really well. I, I can double stack them with Daniel Jones or oh, if I want to play Justin Jefferson, whatever. Okay. I'll play like the stack there with those quarterbacks. And then, you know, oh, great. Like I obviously want to play Austin Eckler. You know, he, he's the RB one. Oh, Travis, he chance great matchup. And so you end up playing the running backs from that game. You end up playing the stacks from the other game. Yep. And then you have the other way. It's like, oh, well, you know, if that's going to be the more popular, then I'll go one off of that. I'll play the stacks from that game and I'll play the running backs in the other game. And, and you're right. You, you won't necessarily see as, as it's a little bit more awkward to build in. Okay. I'm going to play Kirk, but I'm not going to play Lawrence. and I'm not going to play Herbert, you know, and then what are you going to do for the rest of your lineup? You know, maybe it, maybe you end up playing if you're looking at that, like, you know, not the product ownership, but the specific combination of players. Maybe you look at it and say, okay, I'll play, I'll play Cousins and Dalvin Cook, you know, and then I'll play uh, Christian Kirk. And it's like now you're kind of getting into a little bit more of a unique version of combining these two games together. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's actually in, and it actually hit me. I went back and watched the show from us last year, and I was like, oh, I completely forgot about this strategy that I had for the playoffs, where hey, you can still play the two guys, but you get away from the area that they're being played in, and you play them in a more popular matchup, where hey, normally these guys would end up fitting into there, and it could offer you completely like contrarian way to actually right. approach both stacking these games. So I, that's where I like to go with this game. And and on that note, you know, you just mentioned with the idea of. Um, uh, playing Kirk without Lawrence, right? And I was sort of talking about, okay, you, people are going to play the running backs from one, sort of the stack from the other. It's like, other thing too with these six-game slates is I think that, you know, we often like to do the running backs with quarterbacks um, to the pass catchers. I think that you can be a lot more aggressive with stacking running backs and quarterbacks together on these smaller slates because you, you end up betting on teams, right? Let's let's say that the Jacksonville Jaguars score 35 points in, in this spot. No, you know, it's possible that they end up scoring 10 more than any other team, right? If they score 35 points, right? And, and even if Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne don't actually combine for any of those touchdowns, if Travis Etienne gets two and Trevor Lawrence throws for two and runs for, like, you can get there together because you're capturing the whole of the offense. So I think you can be more aggressive with some of these, some of the ways that you're constructing your stacks. People are obviously going to play Herbert and Eckler together, but I think that stuff that I mentioned, like Cousins and Cook together, Jones and Barkley together, I don't know if you're going to play Gino and Walker together just because you don't really need to get unique there. But if you wanted to, I think that you could, you know, um, Dak and Pollard, any of these options where I don't mind playing the running back and the quarterback and just betting on the team to go way over the total. They don't even need to get there harmoniously because normally on a slate with 14 games or whatever, right? It's like somebody's going to get there to the same score and they're going to do it more harmoniously than your, your stack. That's kind of anti-correlated here. You don't have to reach that high bar again, right? You don't have to have the perfect possible, lineup with you know every touchdown goes to the person you can get there on the whole all right so we have the ravens Bengals. i don't know how much time you actually want to spend on this one because i'm not Not sure let's talk about the next one uh you know mark andrews is is a potential play for me but i don't love it uh jamar chase could end up getting you there t higgins could end up getting you there but i mean like this game for me is probably going to be the lowest scoring game on the slate outside of maybe the san francisco game um i don't really want to have that many shares invested in this game I just, yeah, sure, it's a divisional game. Sure, there's a bit of rivalry. Uh, but honestly, like, I think this is going to be over before it even gets started without Lamar Jackson. Here's where I'm at with this game. Um, you know, Joe Mixon's probably the only guy in this game that winds up particularly owned. And I'd just rather not because I just don't know that this is like a ceiling type game. You know, it's a really difficult matchup. And Joe Mixon's deployment hasn't been particularly great since Samaje, uh, since since Joe Mixon got hurt and then Samaj P. Ryan, um, you know, really played quite well in his absence. They've been using it as a little bit more of a 1A, 1B situation there. So what you're doing with Mixon is you're kind of just saying like the Bengals are going to win by a lot and he'll just get there through sheer volume from being ahead. And that's just kind of boring. You know, like I'd rather play the running backs that are in these more explosive spots where I want their offenses to be scoring the whole way of the game. I think what I would do with this game is, is only 
if my lineups are not going well, you know, uh, and this game comes very late, it's the second last game. If my lineups are not in a great spot and say that I still have a lot, you know, I have a decent amount of spots in my lineup still preserved. Maybe it's games that I was planning to play from Dallas, Tampa Bay, whatever, or you go into the day on Sunday and uh, you know, you haven't, you've, you've only had the first two games that have taken place. The other ones haven't taken place yet. Things didn't go very well. And you're set up with your Giants Viking stack and you go, yeah, well, I, I can't play a Giants Viking stack with 10,000 of my closest friends because I just got buried, you know, playing George Kittle at 5%. He had six points. How do I figure out a way around this? Yes. Well, one way is you play T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, and you know, whatever else. And J.K. And, Dobbins. Right. And it's like, no one's really going to be playing this Bengals passing stack all that much. And obviously they have a ceiling. I mean, we've seen their ceiling is absolutely massive. I think likely to hit in the spot. Not particularly likely, but if you're behind the eight ball and you need to get off with a late swap, that's probably the way you do it, where you do have a legitimate ceiling on, on these guys, you know, or if you really want to get crazy, you can stack Tyler Huntley, but um, yeah, or Anthony Brown or whoever the hell they play. But um, no, I think that's, I'm looking at this as a late swap refuge spot and I'm probably out on mixing at ownership, but that, that's about it. Otherwise I'm not looking to attack this proactively. Yeah. JK Dobbins for me is somebody that, that I'm somewhat interested in, but that's about it. I mean, they could end up going by committee and then you're screwed, but he also has potential to give you a breakaway run at any time and give you two touchdowns inside the red zone. Yeah. So, um, you know, like you said, reclamation type spot, spot that, that you, you're really down at, but I want to talk about the Cowboys bucks. Cause this game is a game that I really want. Uh, I understand there's not a lot of ownership on this game, right? Like in right. terms of like their studs, like everybody's afraid. Cause Dak Prescott just got his ass kicked by the, the commanders, right? Tom Brady's been somewhat shitty all season, but both these defenses have been absolutely terrible in the air. They're great up against the, the guys on the ground, right? And they're terrible up against guys in the air. Tampa Bay has given up the third most touchdowns in the air so far this season. Meanwhile, over the past five weeks, Tampa Bay has allowed the most touchdowns in the air while getting the fourth least amount of sacks, which means that Dak Prescott isn't going to see isn't going to see pressure. You know, he, he's not going to be forced to make bad right. decisions. He'll make them all on his own, which you know will still happen. But it, at least he's not getting forced into that. And when you say, "Hey, Tampa Bay's given up like the the." most touchdowns over the past five weeks, you'd be like, well, damn, they, they probably had a tough schedule or something like that, right? Well, they did face Joe Burrow, Jacob. They faced Joe Burrow. And then after yeah. that, they faced Brock Purdy. They faced Trace McSorley. They faced Sam Darnold. And they faced Desmond Ritter, right? Like, that is absolutely, like, the, the quarterback schedule that you should not be leading the league in touchdowns allowed through the air against. Um, you know, like this is the, the time of year where you need touchdowns from your, your top guys that you want to, yeah. you want to get into your line. Third highest over under on the slate, by the way, this game, it's not, it's only two and a half points behind the Giants and the Vikings, which is the highest over under. Now I will bring up too, by the way, Vita Vea missed those games. So you could run them during that time, but I believe Vita Vea is back. Yeah. Uh, and when Vita Vea is there, you cannot run, you cannot run on the Buccaneers. You can't run on them. So you're going to have to pass. And Dallas is pretty much in the same boat. They've been very good up against the running backs. I will, by the way, side note, just to and, piss and Jacob Tampa off. Tampa can't fucking run anyway. So <laughs> yeah. I can stop Tampa's running game. So real quick, I just want to say this to piss Jacob off. Uh, the Buccaneers, three out of eight carries by running back inside the three-yard line have converted for touchdowns. So they're almost 50%. Meanwhile, five of 10 rushing attempts inside the three-yard line by any position have resulted in a touchdown. So I'm not saying that Ezekiel is a thing. But Ezekiel I could get a couple goal line carries and, and get you into that phase. Of yeah, he's a tough. I mean, he's not going to have any ownership, so I'm not going to say. I, no, I, I mean, I'll be all uh, seriously. Look, I'm certainly not making Zeke my flag plan or anything, um, and I don't even know if he'll be in a single one of my lineups. But he's going to probably get roughly half of the Cowboys' touches, you know, and and they have a pretty decent team total, uh, and no one's going to play him at all. So there's worse plays. You know, like it's not it's not that different than Devin Singletary. It's just um sadder, harder matchup, um, more washed, less chance of potentially getting a reception. Okay, so I will say though, I'm I'm gonna be fading the running back position from this game. Well, everybody else is chasing Justin Jefferson and those other stacks and all the other games. I'm just gonna put all my chips in on this game for the stacks. Dak Prescott will likely be my highest known quarterback. Uh, Tom Brady will likely be my second highest known quarterback on the slate. Um the Bucks, in particular, they don't have a specific weakness outside of like they allow teams to accumulate. They, they they give teams like passes underneath, similar like the Rams, right? Their secondary hasn't been healthy, and it came out today that 
their entire team looks like they're going to be healthy for this matchup. So that hurts Dak Prescott somewhat. But keep in mind, like Carlton Davis hasn't played in a few weeks. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen, I think it's Jamel Dean or Sean Murphy Bunting, one of the two missed time uh, recently, and their safeties have not been very good. So as to who I want to attack, I want to take advantage of the slot. So give me all the CD Lamb. CD Lamb will yep. probably be my highest owned wide receiver on the slate. And I'll be playing on both sides of the stack as much as I can possibly get them. Uh, meanwhile, I think that T.Y. Hilton, which I talked, we've, we've been talking about this for weeks, how like, hey, I'm not going to play him next week, but I will play him in the playoffs. You can get behind the Bucks defense, right? Like, they, they've allowed a, a mediocre amount of passing yards to go for over 20, right? Fifteen Minimum 15 yards in the air, get over 20 yards gained. Uh, T.Y. Hilton has been playing that role. He's been playing that deep guy, and he's been playing in the slot. He's been moved to the outside, and that's where the Bucks struggle is by covering the guys that get moved around the lineups similar to, to C.D. Lamb. So T.Y. Hilton, instead of trying to pivot to some of these other cheap options like the Zay Jones, right, like the Isaiah Hodgins, like the Richie James, this is a way to get off of that chalk and to still be able to play top-tier options while having an opportunity for an explosive play. T.Y. Hilton. Since he, he joined the team, I think in week 16, right? Yeah, he joined the team in week 16. He has more yards than any other wide receiver on the Cowboys since week 14. So two weeks prior to him joining. And he only played five snaps in week 16. So he's only played like two complete games, right? He played five snaps in week 16. He still has more yards than any other Cowboys wide receiver since week 14. He's so out there. He, he's getting targeted, man. Like he's seen the opportunities, and I, and they they rest him last week to They still run the routes, but they're not going to heavily utilize him in a losing matchup when when they need him in the playoffs. Like here's this what you got to do: you got to play Dak, CD, Ty Hilton, and Noah Brown, and then you don't have to play the stupid Cowboys guessing game of okay, which guy with the dreads just caught that? You just got to play them all. <laughs> That's so true. I That's hate the most insulting thing about the Cowboys is like. The whole year, you never know whether – you keep – usually, I'm never playing Noah Brown, so I'm, it's always CeeDee Lamb. And I was like, yeah, CeeDee – oh, it's Noah Brown. Yeah, CeeDee – oh, it's Noah Brown. And then they get T.Y., and it's like you have another guy who's, like, also skinny with dreads. Like, how many players on this team look the exact same with a helmet on? And uh, now they have all three, so you just got to play them all. I feel like you're like looking at like a workout chart and it's like, okay, this person's really skinny. This person's mediocre build. And this guy's a little more built. And it's like, you have T.Y. Hilton. That's like the skinny guy. You have Noah Brown. That's like the mediocre Ooh. level. And then you have uh, C.D. Lamb, who's like the, you know, slightly bigger guy uh, in terms of the chart. But no, I, I am going to be playing some T.Y. Hilton. I'm going to play some Dalton Schultz too. And the lineups that I don't play T.Y. Hilton, I'll be playing Dalton Schultz. Uh, the... The Buccaneers, I think, have allowed like nine touchdowns this far in the year. They haven't been good up against the tight end. Like I said, their safeties have been terrible in coverage. Uh, the linebacker, I think it's Devin White, if I'm correct. Yeah. He's been very good, but when they run deeper routes, which is where they like to have Schultz operate, is in like that 10 to 15-yard range. Uh, typically, it's picked up by the safeties in zone, and they have not been good up against tight ends, against those types of tight ends. I mean... They just allowed the Panthers to get like 100 yards receiving on them uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to be playing that. Meanwhile, I'm going to be chasing a lot of Chris Godwin. Uh, Chris Godwin in the slot against Cowboys uh, is interesting. I think we're going to see a lot of Trayvon Diggs all over Mike Evans, who is going to play, I believe, this week. Uh, Trayvon Diggs is better up against these bigger, more physical guys. Uh, he likes to jump routes and, and having this slower reacting type players allow him to jump routes while still recovering if he does end up getting beat. So he typically thrives against that. I think Chris Godwin is going to have a massive matchup. And I'm okay. I don't love this, but I'm okay playing Russell Gage. I, I think that he's interesting. Is, uh, is Julio out or is he playing? Do we care even? Uh, I, I mean, well, I care I care in terms of whether I play Russell Gage. They yes, split routes true, true. Yes, true. Um, I'm seeing that Julio is projected in right now, but I don't know if that's certain. I, I, honestly, I haven't been keeping track of the, the status of Julio Jones all that heavily. Um yeah, the other guy that I'll mention that, that's a, an interesting play to me in this game is Kate Otten. Um, he's been up over 80% routes the last couple of weeks. They finally uh, healthy scratched Cameron Brake, sent him into the glue factory. So if you're looking for on the, especially if you're playing Brady stacks, you know, or if you want to play two bring backs with a Dallas stack, you need a cheap option. Kate Otten's going to run plenty of routes. Uh, he's going to be out there. Uh, and similarly, if you're fading Mike Evans, and that's one of the other places the targets can go. I will note too in this game that I'm seeing like a lot of projected ownership on Fournette and very little on Rashad White. And again, I just want to note that these running backs roles are basically the exact same. Um, like we had a run there where Fournette was scoring a lot more and he was playing more snaps, but it was an illusion. Like 
they literally just rotate drives back and forth. And it just so happened that there was a couple week period where White was out there for a lot of three and outs. Fournette was getting some longer drives. The like exact timing of when the two minute drill occurred was aligning on Fournette's turn. So he was getting the two minute drill for a couple weeks in a row, but they don't actually care who gets the two minute drill. It's just whoever rotates. Uh, you know, then we saw in the Carolina game, Rashad White ended up out snapping Leonard Fournette. Fournette does have a higher target rate when he's on the field, so probably should be projected a little bit ahead, but Rashad White's is still very high. Um, and I think if you're going to play a buck running back, I, I just don't really see any reason to play the one who's projected for quite a lot more ownership uh, in, in Leonard Fournette. But I'm not super excited about either of the running backs this game, to be honest. I, I'm with you on this game in whole. I, I think that, you know, that it, it's definitely has similar shootout potential to that other spots, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a tear down. But I do agree these defenses are not quite as strong as I think they're perceived to be by the general market. And, you know, it's just that there's less like obvious cheap guys who are going to run all the routes. I think that's what ends up bringing the ownership down because you're looking at Dallas and you're like, yeah, I don't know how many routes T.Y. is going to run. I don't know how many routes Noah Brown's going to run. You're looking at, you know, Tampa, similar idea with Gage, with Julio. I, I do think you can absolutely play this game. Um, without having to deal with a ton of ownership, you do have access to a ceiling. You also have two teams that play fast, right? Similar idea that you're going to have in Jacksonville and Chargers, where you have two pace up opportunities versus Minnesota and the Giants, where Minnesota plays reasonably quickly. The Giants play, you know, not that quickly. So I, I do like this spot uh, really all around and, and agree. If you're playing it, you got to play it through CD Lamb on the Dallas side, I think, uh, just because. Other than Pollard, that's pretty much their only explosive player. Uh, so you got to play Lamb, and, and I'm fine playing Pollard in a bad matchup too. Oh, I low ownership if you're stacking the game. All right, so let's go ahead and let's see if we can build a lineup real quick, Jacob. I, I know that we're pressed for time, but uh, let's go ahead and let's start out with with one of these games we discussed. Do you want to do Dak Prescott? Sure, I'm fine with that. All right, let's go ahead and do a Dak Prescott stack. We might as well throw in, of course, yeah, see Lamb, who we talked about. Um, Are you going to play uh, T.Y. Hilton as the second here? I'm, I'm honestly fine with it. I, I like T.Y. Hilton. I would love to get T.Y. Hilton in here. I think I that uh, zero, it, zero ownership on that. Yeah, $3,200. Like, that's just a solid play for me. And I think that Dak Prescott loves T.Y. Hilton. It's better than playing with Michael Gallup, who runs in a straight line, and, uh, and Noah Brown, who <laughs> consistently ends up causing them headaches. Uh, meanwhile, like, we could go expensive at the running back. Or we might as well run it back real quick. I would like to run it back with Godwin. Um, and that's probably it because Mike Evans would be too expensive. Is that cool? Yeah, a little, little tough. But I mean, that's the only that's gonna be the hard part about building stacks of any of these games is you run out of wide receiver spots so darn quickly. Um, that uh, that pro probably. I mean, I'm fine with this. Uh, probably in most spots where I would stack this game because there are so many other wide receiver options that I want to attack. I'm probably including one of Schultz or Otten in most of my stacks here on, on, on either side. Uh, just just to free up a wide receiver slot because now we really yeah. only have may, maybe one more. But Dallas has actually been really, really good up against tight ends. So I, I'm I'm fading on for the most part. But we got to figure out exactly where we're going to go here because we could either go with the, uh, an expensive running back and then pay down at a bunch of different positions. Uh, you know, where are you leaning with with this one? Because I think that James Cook could be a play. I think Singletary could be a smart play like we talked about earlier, about leveraging off 55. It doesn't save us a ton of money, but at least it doesn't end up, you know, burning in, in a over percentage on us. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with Devin Singletary. It's one of our running back options. And, you know, we can really kind of play whatever plays we want to play from there at this point. We have we have a fairly contrarian game stack. Uh, and, and in particular with T.Y. Hilton, a play that no one's going to play at all. Um, you know, now you add in Singletary. I think we have a lot of freedom to work with for these last few spots here. Um, yeah. I do think, by the way, and I didn't get to talk about this, I do think Elijah Mitchell remains interesting because he is getting subbed in to certain packages, and he's extremely cheap. Meanwhile, if the 49ers go up big time on the Seahawks, we could see him have the whole fourth quarter to himself. Uh, you know, I don't think that that happens, but he could end up seeing, what, 10 carries in the fourth quarter at least. And we all know his efficiencies through the roof and how bad Seattle is. I mean, he could end up having uh, an 80 yard with a touchdown fourth quarter alone, not yeah. including what he does for the rest of the game. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pick the, the other running back slot here. To me, there's an obvious play here for at least one of the other slots. You know, we could play three running backs or, or four wide receivers here, but we're already kind of leveraging off of all these cheap giants wide receivers by just ignoring their passing game in terms of our stack. We already have plenty of ownership freed up to do whatever we want. Uh, it seems like plugging in Saquon here to me is a, is a, is a pretty something that I'd want to do. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it's it's kind of written right there in front of us as to like where we should go. And honestly, it's going to be between Saquon uh, or, for me, Christian McCaffrey. And, and Saquon's a little bit cheaper. He gives you about a K less than, than McCaffrey, so that saves us from going from bottom-of-the-barrel options on the rest of the lineup. But and honestly, again, I mean, he has, also has no vulture concerns, right? There's no Eli Mitchell concern, realistically, for Saquon. <laughs> Yeah, now this is what we were talking about throughout the episode where, hey, we can't play George Kittle. Like, no matter how bad we want to play George Kittle, right. I mean, we can't because it'll put us at, what, 3,900 unless we do a double tight end stack. Yeah, which, that's, which I don't really want to play Richie James with Saquon and no stack. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm down with – I'm fine not playing Kittle in this lineup because we're kind of contrarian enough in our stack. I'm, I'm, like, more excited to play – to me, Kittle, if I'm playing, like, any – if I want to play any, like, Minnesota uh, – New York heavy stacks. That's where I really want to use Kittle as my my test case in that first game. Um, but I'm okay not playing him here. I'm okay with Hawkinson, absolutely. Um, and, and I would have been okay with Kate Otten, and, and then we could have jammed in another running back too. But I'm I'm fine with Hawkinson there with Saquon. We kind of eat a little bit of a little, little chalk in that spot. What's in this game? Yeah, I'm I'm probably. I would say I'm into the I'm into KJ Osborne. But then yeah. I'm not as quite into Hawkinson. I'm not like super into Osborne and Hawkinson together without Cousins in a game that everybody's going to be stacking. And then we have three pieces of it, but we don't have the quarterback. That feels a little cute to me. Um, I, I was going to suggest Gabe Davis because we don't uh, – oh, we do have Singletary. But um, that, that was going to be fine to me too at 4,800. Um, I'm fine with Mark Andrews in this slot too if we want to play KJ Osborne there. Yeah, I mean, Mark Andrews feels like the only guy that's going to get in volume after Cincinnati blows the doors off the uh, the Ravens. It's just concerning because Mark Andrews really hasn't done anything outside of last week, <laughs> and he faced a backup defense for part of the week last week. Uh, or no, that was no, two he didn't play at all. No, no, yeah, 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 right. yeah, he feasted against Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, that's it's nauseating playing Mark Andrews for me because I'm not a big Mark, Mark Andrews guy. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where we have to go because if we already have KJ Osborne in there, we go with Mark Andrews. Boom. Like that, that's a winning lineup. We have 300 left in salary. I think, Jacob, you're okay with having 300 left in I'm salary. I'm having 300 left in salary. Yeah, yeah, I know that normally bites at you, but on a smaller slate, there's not really anywhere we can pivot up for 300 bucks. Oh, All right, my friend, let's go ahead and get out of here. Let me go ahead and press enter right here. So we are in there. And, Jacob, we got flag plants to discuss I'll go I ahead. Got two, I got two that I that I like, so I'll let you go first because I don't know if one of mine was the same as, as one of yours. So, all right, I'm gonna go, man. I, you you know I I love this game, right? This game is for me the last game we talked about with Tampa Bay and the Cowboys. It's just in a perfect spot because you have the last game in the contest. Mm -hmm. You know where you can go. You know what you have to do. And like for example, Ty Hilton, we don't have to end up playing Ty Hilton if we don't need to. You know, if we just need to get over that hump, we don't. We can end up pivoting to somebody else and probably switching out the defense, going cheaper. However, the one guy that we can't pivot off of, I don't think, no matter what happens, is Ceedee Lamb, because Ceedee Lamb's not going to see an overabundance of ownership, right? He's going to be somewhat moderately owned, and with Dak Prescott, he's the only weapon that Dak actually trusts uh, moving forward. He's getting peppered with targets to an extent, and up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that you cannot run on, you can't run against them. CeeDee Lamb is going to be very heavily involved in those, hey, take what you can get type scenarios. I don't care if he sees double coverage. I don't, care if he see, I don't care if he sees triple coverage part of the game. He's still going to get the targets because they don't have anywhere else to go to. CeeDee Lamb for me in what is going to be the highest scoring game on the weekend is my pick. I love it. All right. For me, this is a guy that we definitely both agree on, and it's the exact opposite in terms of the timeline of the week. You know, I like saving a lot of the powder for late. But I also love getting that information early. And sometimes that means fading someone who's going to be really heavily owned. And sometimes it means playing somebody, especially on a unique construction, a guy who flips your build a little bit that nobody else is on. And to me, that week, that guy this week is George Kittle. You get kind of everything that I want to look for in terms of a playoff DFS play where you get a phenomenal matchup, a really high ceiling player, and you get a chance to separate massively at a position of scarcity where if George Kittle gets you that 25 or that 30, you know that barring some heroics from Mark Andrews or TJ Hawkinson, you more or less have a locked-in massive advantage against the rest of the field, and that just frees up how you get to play the whole rest of your slate. So I'm excited to be playing a very over-leveraged amount of George Kittle in the first game, and then we'll see where it goes from there. You have those opportunities to try and make it back up on the field if it flops, 
and you get that information right away where you can press your advantage if you win. So to me, what's playoff DFS all about? It's about taking advantage of the sequencing of the games, taking advantage of the short slate, playing awesome players who are going to be under-owned and awesome matchups. Give me George Kittle.